0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a solo topic-based episode for you. Today's topic is going to be on aid station navigation. I have a couple of reasons why I wanted to record this podcast. One is because I've been getting a lot of questions about this, and I think it's a really good question especially as the events that you are doing starts getting a bit longer and you essentially have yourself in a position especially for longer trail races to spend a wider range of time in aid stations and when we look at things like moving time versus non-moving time in a longer event like say 100 miles on a trail it can be something that can be very consequential in your finishing time, or the way I like to look at it, finding that balance between being prepared enough by not neglecting the things that the aid station can provide for you that will help you actually move faster out on the course, but also don't put yourself in a position where you need to be running faster than you actually would had you been a little more efficient. And I think that balance can be struck with just a little bit of preparation, both in training and a little bit of planning ahead of time before you get to the event itself. This will help you make sure you are maximizing the aid station in a way that will allow you to move as fast as possible between aid stations, but also minimize the amount of time you spend in there, therefore making every step you take just a little more powerful because you can get to the, you can get to the finish line faster without actually going any quicker. And in some cases, if you're really efficient, maybe going even slower. The other reason why I want to talk about this topic is because I find that when I'm meeting with my coaching clients, especially as we get closer to race day, this topic starts to become more and more of an interest from both them and myself as a coach in terms of giving them some things they can practice in training or in tune-up races and then ultimately strategizing a plan based on the course they're doing to maximize their aid station. So let's go over some of the things that I like to consider upfront and then some ways to put them into practice or to be thinking about them in your training, and then ultimately how to best approach it on race day. All right. So the first thing I like to think about when it comes to aid station navigation is just doing a little bit of inventory of what you are actually going to use them for. So there's a lot of things that can be included in an aid station stop. Some of the more obvious ones are fueling and hydration. This is one that almost everyone is likely going to do in some capacity is they are going to use these aid stations to either refill up on water, sports drinks, some sort of liquid to stay hydrated, maybe electrolytes and probably grabbing some fuel, whatever that happens to be. So this is a good starting point in terms of thinking about What do you actually want to be eating and drinking during the race itself? So one thing I will usually do when I'm working with someone on this topic before we even get started is let's start thinking about what options we have in the aid station at the event that you're specifically doing. So this is sometimes just as simple as going onto the races website and checking out what options they have available as well as the spacing between their aid stations. So this is going to be important because... Let's say, for example, an aid station has X, Y, and Z products available at them. If I'm working with someone and we're trying to put together a fueling strategy for them, if we can include some of the things that they have in the aid stations in their fueling strategy, then there is a great chance that they can minimize the logistics that they need to do and planning in terms of carrying extra stuff or having extra drop bag stuff because it's sort of ready-made for them on the course already. Now, this doesn't mean that you want to necessarily rely entirely on the aid stations for this stuff. A lot of times people are going to have specific fueling strategies and have things that is just better to have on their person so they can have them at the right time in the right place. And ultimately, some people have preferences. And if that preference is not at the aid station, finding a way to get those products to you out on the course, whether it be carrying them or using drop bags and things that are things worth considering, but these are all things that the more you practice and the more you rehearse in, in training, the better you're going to be able to recognize and whether it's going to work or not work. So first thing is we just check out what is on the aid stations. Are there things you're already using that, you know, have worked well for you? Are there things on there that we think would maybe work for you that you haven't tried yet that we're going to want to put through a stress test and training? And is there anything in the, on there that like a specific person isn't necessarily thinking of that could be valuable? Things like uh, topical cooling. So is there going to be ice water and like lots of ice at the aid station where you can essentially cool yourself off with that? Versus, you know, having an aid station that's maybe a little more pared down where there's nothing but a jug of water essentially and it's unmanned. So this kind of goes into the next part, which is like, what is the spacing and structure? So a lot of times race courses will also have a variety of aid stations within the event. It isn't necessarily same thing every aid station. So it's usually good to check or confirm as to how this is structured. So some aid stations might be a little more built up where they may even have hot food that they're cooking. Or some might be, like I said before, very pared down. It was basically just water and maybe like uh, some small amounts of nutrition or something like that. And and entirely unmanned. Uh, Usually there's somewhere in between that, uh, but it is good to know that and where their spacing is so you can plan accordingly. Uh, The next is the actual spacing from a distance standpoint. So one thing that we'll want to actually start putting into practice in your training plan, especially near the end when the long runs are getting longer, is really kind of trying to figure out what you're going to need and how much of it in a given time frame so for an example if you're look if we're looking at a course and we see a section where it's relatively short from one aid station to the next let's say it's only going to be like 45 to 60 minutes planning from that aid station to the next we are going to want to have practice and training that allows us to know what is your needs in that 45 to 60 minute window and if we want to unpack that even more based on the temperature of the day, because that can dictate fluids and things like that at a little bit of a higher level. The other thing, the other example would be, let's say it's a a little bit more of a longer stretch. In some races, we'll have a combination of these things where maybe you have a longer stretch, like 10, 11, 12 miles from one aid station to the next. In that case, we want to make sure that in, in training, we are practicing race day intensity to a degree where we can get an idea of How long is it going to take you roughly to go from that aid station to the next? And because of that, how much should we plan on you bringing or resupplying at that first aid station to make sure you actually get to that next aid station with the right amount of uh, electrolytes, hydration, fuel, or everything, anything you're going to potentially need in that stretch of time. And Finally, we want to also take a look at the course profile because this can dictate things as well. You can have a situation where one aid stage to the next is longer in distance than the next one, but since it's all downhill versus the other one being all uphill, it's going to actually take you longer. So starting with the course you're going to do and starting to kind of loosely unpack kind of... What is the general theme of this course and what can we kind of expect based on what we already know about running history and goals and anticipations on where you're going to be on race day to start kind of just thinking about this stuff so that when we do get to the points in in training where we can actually practice them better, or if you're going to do a tune-up race, implement them in there, how do we actually kind of practice uh, stress testing this so that on race day, you don't find yourself trying to solve problems that could have been prevented with a little extra preparation and training. Okay, so that's kind of like the intro to kind of how I like to kind of start the process. Once we sort of have a little bit of an idea with that, the next step is backing up and simplifying a little bit in terms of let's start getting some actionable things that we can start practicing and thinking about versus building up this monster that could be aid station navigation in your head so that The more we can kind of think about this, the more we can break it down into simple, actionable items that aren't going to feel overwhelming when you're out there managing the stressors of the day. And this becomes a good spot to begin thinking about what are the things you're actually going to try to use. So I like to simplify race day fueling into like a setup where you have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. So plan A is likely going to be the product that you think this is the thing that almost always works for, or always works for me. Maybe let's go very, very, uh, positive with this one. This is something that's never failed me. I love it. I use it in training. I use it in races. It's the one I, 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 I stake the most of my hope in that will get me fueled as early and often as needed. And that is one thing that we are going to definitely include in your race day strategy. Next is a plan B. So plan B is not always necessarily weaker than plan A, it's just different. So the way I like to look at plan B is if you think of plan A, try to make it a little bit polarizing. So for example, if plan A is something liquid, gel-based, a little sweeter, make plan B something that contrasts that. So maybe something that's solid, crunchy, salty. What this is going to do is it's going to give you an option to be able to go back and forth between two contrasting flavors and textures, which is going to be helpful later on in a race. As you start experiencing things like palate fatigue, you may find that there's something that you absolutely love and feel like you can never get enough of, but by hour 15 of a hundred mile race, now all of a sudden you can't even stand the idea of having that again. But if you would just sub it out for something that has a different flavor, different texture for a while, you may regain that desire to continue to eat that preferred fuel source again, later on. And I believe that if you start that process early, meaning start that kind of back and forth between the conflicting flavor and textures of things that you know work for you, you're just less likely to find yourself in that situation to begin with. So you have your plan A and your plan B, and those are going to be, like I said, the conflicting flavor and textures. So an example that could be like maybe you're going to use some sort of like liquid calorie source that's a little sweeter for plan a and then plan b could be something as simple as like a salty cracker or a pretzel so you got crunchy salty maybe a little more savory on one you got liquidy sweeter something you're drinking uh on uh the the other option and you're going to be going back and forth with that uh sometimes like i said earlier those can be things that you're finding in the aid stations and it's not a bad idea to check aid stations and see if there's any any uh just Similarities there, where it's like, oh, you know, like my plan A is close enough to this where if I have to swap in and out, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Uh, a lot of times, if your plan A or plan B happens to be a solid food, which it likely will be if you're contrasting, checking to see if they have something similar to that at the aid stations gives you an option, again, like I said before, to minimize the logistics of you having to carry that and plan drop eggs for it. Uh, If not, though, there are some clever ways you can plan for this with like Ziploc baggies and parceling out these things and then building drop bags that are going to be more or less efficient enough as long as you have a good system in place. But ultimately, if you can get a few seconds here and there and save yourself the trouble of managing those logistics the day before the race or the days before the race and the aid stations are accommodating for that. Great. Let's take advantage of that. Plan C is what another thing I like to do, whereas this is something that we have used in the past, maybe it's not your favorite thing, but it's an option that we can turn to if for whatever reason, plan A and plan B stop working. Maybe it's digestibility, maybe it's lack of interest in these, maybe it's just a motivator. There's a huge psychological component to these longer events. So If you decide all of a sudden, oh, because plan C is different, it gives me something new to look forward to that I can really get excited about. And you will likely surprise yourself on these longer events, how tiny, somewhat unconsequential seeming things will actually motivate you or give you something to focus on outside of letting your mind spiral into negativities like, oh, I'm only 60 miles into this 100 mile race. My legs are already hurting. I got to go 40 more miles. That sort of a mindset. So plan C is actually one where I really like To build off of the aid station as much as possible so even though plans a and b can have an aid station component to it and sometimes that can be very useful plan c i like to almost always have some sort of aid station tied to it because it gives you that opportunity to pivot to it without having to have had to plan for ahead of time so for example if your plan c is something you need to bring then you need to make sure you have it at any potential spot that you could decide you want that over the other thing that gets very difficult to do on most courses. If it's not a short loop type of uh race where you're getting access to aid really frequently. And you have someone there who can just kind of like rotate things in and out. If you're in that situation, you can plan a a through Z and as long as you're organized enough, so your crew member or you can get at it quick enough and efficiently enough there's really an unlimited amount. And that's probably one of the benefits of a course like that versus a trail race where you may have some crew from time to time, you may have some drop bags, but generally speaking, there's going to be a lot more independence needed in order to properly kind of go through these things. So a lot of times with these races, I like to have plan C be something that you can get at every aid station or close to uh, just because then you have more opportunities to pivot to it if you need to. So with that, I find you're in a pretty good spot to kind of start the process. And you can always turn to intuition at certain points. Let's say you're a little bit further on into the race and you come into an aid station at mile 70 and your plan A, your plan B, and your plan C are there, but you look at the aid station, you say, oh, that actually sounds really good. I'm going to have that. I don't see a huge problem with that, especially if you're craving it. What I do usually suggest to people is if you do something like that, sometimes it's a product that you're not used to using, maybe often at all in your daily life and certainly probably not in your training. So you might want to be a little cautious in the amount that you consume upfront. So let's say, for example, you go through an aid station and you see a like tortilla wrap or something like that. And you're like, oh, that just sounds really good right now for whatever reason, but you never eat tortilla wraps in, in training, or even maybe your day-to-day life. I would bring that with you as you're leaving the aid station, eat a couple bites of it and let that sit in your stomach for a few minutes and see how it feels, how your body responds to it. And if things check out, then start nibbling on the rest of it. I think this is actually generally a good approach when you talk about solid foods. Nibbling is always going to be superior to just taking in huge quantities at once when you can. So the kind of going saying when it comes to hydrating and fueling with ultra marathons is nibbling and sipping is usually a pretty good option, regardless of what that item or product is. Okay, so now let's talk about the actual act of getting and consuming these products as you're moving through the course and ultimately through the aid stations themselves. The first thing I like to talk about with this is having a plan in place so when you get into the aid station, you're not deciding what to do once you get there. The biggest killer of time or the biggest addition to non-moving time that I see with ultra marathoners is rolling into an aid station with no idea what they're gonna do until they get there. And then they start perusing around, trying to figure out what it is they want, what it is they need. And that ends up basically putting a fast forward on the time. You will be shocked at how much time piles up when you go in with that approach versus how slow the clock can feel like it's moving when you're out there on the course. So I very much encourage people to go into aid stations with an intent. And I find the best way to do this is to one, have those things planned out ahead of time that I mentioned with your plan A, your plan B, and your plan C. So you kind of have an idea of the options available to you. And then when you're about, say, somewhere between a kilometer to a mile outside of that aid station, that becomes the zone of deciding what it is you really want to do in there. So you probably have a general idea. You have a formula or a process that you've been practicing and training, but when you get that kilometer to a mile out from the aid station, starting to think, okay, at this exact moment in time, what is it that I actually need to get and start putting together an order of how you're going to do that based on your knowledge of the aid station from your pre-race preparation. So this could be something as soon as, as simple as, okay, I'm going into this next aid station. I know Between this next one and the following one, I'm going to be moving for roughly 90 minutes. So I need to make sure I have X ounces of fluid. I need to have X amount of electrolyte. I need to have this fueling and start to put together what you actually need to either unload from what you're carrying and reload up with uh, going in there. So when you do get in the aid station, you can just go from one to the next. The other reason why I like to run through these things, is because it's oftentimes more than one. It's a lot of times it's less than just, oh, I got to fill up my bottle and get out of there. A lot of times it's like I said, it's going to be grabbing some sort of fuel, grabbing some sort of electrolyte, grabbing some sort of hydration or filling up a bottle or a bladder. Maybe it's going to a drop bag. There's usually one, two, three, maybe multiple different things that you have to be thinking about. So if you have this list of things that you're going to do, what happens is you get into this aid station, let's say you run into a situation where the aid station is pretty full. There's a lot of other people in there. The volunteers are helping other people. There's maybe a like two or three people waiting to get to a certain thing. If you also need that thing, but you've already run through your mind what else you need, you can glance over and say, oh, it looks like the second, third, and fourth thing I needed to get from this list is more open than the first. I'm pivoting to two, going to get that then go to three, four, and then come back. And hopefully by then that line or the access to that thing has minimized. That way you are going to the most available things first versus necessarily holding yourself specifically to a specific order of things. Uh, The other thing I like to mention with this is when you go into that aid station and you know what you need, once you have that stuff, start leaving the aid station. At that point, there is very little to no reason to be in the aid station. Once you have what you want. I see a lot of times people, what they'll do is they'll get in the aid station and they'll actually begin the fueling and the hydration process while they're actually there. And to some extent, there's a little bit of that that can be done that I could see justifiable for say, like, let's say it's a warmer race and you're taking in a, quite a bit of fluids and you decide, I want to get in this aid station. I want to drink X amount of ounces of fluid in the aid station so that when I leave I don't have to carry that extra bottle, or maybe you have to carry so much from one to the next that you've got a pretty big pack. So getting a little bit in is going to be in your best interest just to make sure you're hitting your targets. If that's a situation, just go in knowing that that's the situation. But I usually suggest don't make that the norm because it ends up just wasting time that you could at least be walking at. So what I like to think of is like, it's going to be a lot easier to eat and drink when you're walking or hiking than when you're running. So if you save, say, a couple of minutes by getting your stuff in the aid station, whatever happens to be, and then start walking out while you're sometimes even packing it into your pack or your handheld or your pockets, and then beginning that eating and drinking process while you're walking, you've turned non-moving time into at least slow-moving time. So you're, you're essentially covering some ground you wouldn't have otherwise, and you're giving yourself an opportunity to consume some of that stuff at a much easier pace than you would have to if you said just stayed around that aid station extra couple of minutes, getting that stuff situated or beginning the eating process. And then you start running out. And now as you're running, you have to start kind of beginning that process while you're moving at a little bit of a faster pace. So getting in, getting out as quickly as possible is uh, is the way to do it. And starting some of that stuff, even if it's at a walking pace, leaving the aid station is uh, gonna save you some time on the back end. The other thing to think about is it's not always about eating, drinking, and restocking stuff at these aid stations. Sometimes there is reason to say, sit down, change your shoes, change your sock, address a blister, change clothes, do topical cooling, all that stuff. This stuff is all fine, but what you want to do is include that in that planning process, both before the race and during the race. So your pre-race preparation, maybe you know from prior experience, or you think just to be safe at... 60 miles in this race, I'm going to have a shoe and sock change. Different topic for a different day as to whether that's worth it. Uh, I think there's situations where it is, and there's also situations where it's kind of just a waste of time, but let's go with the mindset that for whatever reason, this is something that should be considered. And you're going to put that at a specific aid station, just going in knowing, okay, at this aid station, I'm sitting in that chair and I'm changing my shoes and socks, or I'm going in this aid station and I'm putting on warmer clothes because I'll be heading out into a cooler section of the night. Just go in knowing that that's part of the process and start asking yourself whether it's because you have a crew there or you have a specific setup. Are there things that I can pair with one another that are optimizing that process? So I'm doing two things at once versus one at a time and things like that. And a lot of times just thinking through this will highlight some spots where you can just save a few seconds here and there, which over the course of Many aid stations can add up to minutes and sometimes even dozens of minutes, depending on how long these processes are and how much stuff you can actually like eliminate over the course of, say, a race as long as 100 miles. Okay, so let's do a quick review of aid station navigation here. So first things first, you want to, before you even start a training, once you've got that race picked, start looking at the website and familiarizing yourself with what options you have at this particular event between what's at the aid stations, as well as distance between the aid stations. That way you can start piecing together uh, a beginning of what your plan A, plan B, and plan C may look like in terms of options you have available to you, as well as getting an idea of the spacing between aid stations so you know that in training, whether it be your long runs or tune-up races, how you're going to practice and fine-tune your actual needs over specific time frames for the variance you may have between short stretches between aid stations and longer stretches between aid stations. From there, you can begin to practice these things in training as ways to kind of stress test whether the plan A, plan B, and plan C is actually gonna work the way you want it to, and just get confidence and confirmation that it is indeed the strategy that is gonna. Present the least amount of risk from both a digestion and a dehydration or a lack of interest on the race day itself. Next, you want to start thinking about what it is you are going to likely be needing when you enter the aid stations. So, this is a little bit more of what do I do on race day itself? And that is just familiarizing yourself with the process of once I'm a mile or a kilometer or so out from an aid station. Start running through your mind the list of things that you're going to want and need in that next aid station. So, when you get in there, you can do it in a very ordered manner, in a sense that you know what you need, you can get it. So, you're not wasting time making decisions while you're standing still in the aid stations. Planning far enough ahead so that you know certain aid stations are going to have more things available than others. Certain aid stations are going to have drop bags where you may have a quick exchange where you're taking off a pack and grabbing a new one, and maybe that's all you need to really do because everything you need is already in that second pack. Those are all the things you're going to want to think about as you're getting into the aid station. Which one is this? Is this an aid station where I'm going to have to do a lot of self-serving at the aid station? Is this an aid station I have a crew? Is this an aid station I have a drop bag? And then ultimately, in some cases, is this an aid station where I can count on there being a lot of volunteers there to maybe help me out? Ultimately, once you enter it, is when you'll get some confirmation as to whether you'll have any assistance from, say, race volunteers, depending on how many other people are likely in there. And you will have to be doing some in the moment decision making. But if you've already predetermined what exactly it is you're trying to get from there, it's going to be a lot easier to go in there and start executing that plan. Once you have the stuff that you need begin exiting the aid station. At that point, if you've checked off those things in the list, even if it includes things like shoes changes, clothing changes, digging through a drop bag to grab warm clothes or something like that, once you have all that stuff, don't sit around in the aid station and spend extra time organizing it, starting to eat it and drink it there, You know, second guessing things, go in there with that intention, trust that you have what you have because you've planned, then start walking out Once you start walking out, you can be clipping your pack on, you can be positioning your handheld the way you want, you can be sticking gels or a baggie of solid foods or something in a pack, or even beginning the drinking and eating process as you're walking out. I find that when you're exiting the aid station, walking is going to help make some of that fueling and hydration, the start of that, a little bit easier than when you're running. So save yourself some of the non-moving time and get out there even if it's at a slower walk to make sure that you are out of that aid station and less likely to find yourself in a situation spending more time than you intended because you're just not giving yourself that option any longer. So one thing I will add about that is that that type of a strategy definitely does favor someone who actually does a thorough job of planning their entrance and what they need, their checklist of what they need in an aid station because obviously if you go in, with a subpar checklist, and you get out quickly, you can run the risk of forgetting something that you don't need. And even though you got out of there quickly, find yourself in a situation where you lose time because you don't have something you need. So do make sure you are doing your due diligence in terms of when you are that mile to kilometer out of the aid station, actually running through the list of, okay, this aid station is what I need. This is what I need to get. Once I get it, I'm on my way. All right. That is aid station and navigation, folks. If you have any follow-up questions to that or anything you'd like to add, because ultimately there is some individuality with this. I'd love to hear about your experience, what's worked for you in the past, what are areas of flexibility, what are areas that are a little more firm for you or that you think are a little more universal principles, send them my way. I would love to hear them. Otherwise, until next time, this is the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter.